0: In Texas, but to come back and be gathered with my church family again. This morning we are going to be reading from Revelation chapter 19 verses 6 through 10. So if you're using one of the black Bibles, which you'll find underneath your your chairs, this is going to be on page 1101, and it's going to continue on to page 1102. So this is going to be at the very end of your Bibles. The big numbers that you see there are the chapter numbers. The small numbers are the verse numbers, and we're going to be starting here In verse 6, verses 6 through 10 says this. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, rejoice. And give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we know that your mercies are new every morning, but there are many of us here today whose hearts are heavy and may not feel or believe this truth. As grace let us in praying, help our unbelief. With your word that gives life, make our hearts glad because we know that your precepts are right. Your law is perfect. We pray that it would revive our souls with it now. Your testimony is sure. It is trustworthy. And we are simple beings. We pray that you would grow us in your wisdom. Your commands are pure. Enlighten our eyes with them now. And we know that you look favorably on one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at your word. You oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. And we are in desperate need of your grace now. Soften our hearts so that we would grow in fearing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We as a society love weddings. And here at BBC... We've been blessed to be saturated in a season of weddings. In fact, over the course of about six weeks, we had four weddings, and we have one more to go next month. Weddings are where we get the unique opportunity to not only witness and affirm the union of a man and a woman, but to celebrate that union with music, with dancing, and with food. So I want you to imagine that you are one of only 200 guests that have accepted the invitation to a star-studded studying, studying, star wedding celebration. One where James Corden is the MC, Elton John on the piano. You have George Clooney serving up drinks. Idris Elba... Serving up beats as the DJ. A celebration when you indulge in the most extravagant of feasts alongside Oprah Winfrey and Harry Styles. Evidently, he is a celebrity. A celebration where you play a form of ping pong with Serena Williams, but not before joining in on the couple's first dance song. Whitney Houston's hit, I Wanna Dance With Somebody. Looking for Jim Castro. <laughs> so whose fairy tale wedding am I describing? Well, it's a wedding fit for royalty. And this is just a little taste of what went down at the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle in 2018. And when it comes to a royal wedding, it's just an exclusive few that are invited. As one journalist put it, if you're being invited by royalty, you are being invited to breathe in rarefied air. And it's here in Revelation 19 where we as readers are getting a whiff of this very exclusive air that's being inhaled. But the royal wedding being described here in our passage isn't just of any royal wedding. It is the royal wedding of all royal weddings. Because this royal wedding involves the King of of Kings and the Lord of Lords. One of the guests at the Prince Harry-Meghan Markle wedding said afterward, it was the most magical night I've ever had. It was one of those experiences that money just can't buy. And it's in our text here this morning where we read about the reaction of guests who are taking part in an everlasting celebration known as the marriage feast of the Lamb. These guests here have accepted God's invitation to this feast that is more massive, more stunning, more joyful than any of us could ever imagine. These Christians here are erupting with joy about their eternal union with King Jesus. And this... Celebration ought to stir up the greatest fear of missing out known to mankind. Even if you're someone like me who doesn't struggle with FOMO. (laughs) The main goal of today's message and sermon, if you're taking notes, is accept God's invitation to worship him because of Jesus. Accept God's invitation to worship him because of Jesus. And I'm getting this from verses 9 and 10. So how do you do this? How do you accept God's invitation to worship him? How do you accept his invitation to this jubilant finale? This everlasting celebratory feast? Well, just as you would any invitation, you RSVP. And these are the four points of today's sermon: RSVP, respond, suit up, value, about value Christ, and preach, preach Christ. Respond, suit up, value, and preach. And this is how you accept God's invitation to worship Him. Weddings are one of the most universal social events known to man. And their significance is is one that transcends cultures. But every culture approaches them and celebrates them a little differently. In our passage this morning, I think it would be helpful to understand the parallels between the customs of Jewish weddings and the weddings that's addressed here in Revelation 19. Here in the U.S., we can identify with three stages related to marriage. We have dating, engagement, and marriage. When we look at Jewish Jewish marriages that took place in biblical times, we can see their similarity to American marriages but there are also some distinct differences. The first stage leading to a Jewish marriage was known as the betrothal. If we're trying to identify the modern day stage that the betrothal resembles most, that would have to be our engagement stage. But the betrothal was a lot more than what we recognize as engagement here in the U.S. Because it carried a lot more weight, a much greater level of commitment, because it involved a payment and a contract. The prospective bridegroom, also known as groom, that's how we shorten it, the word groom, He would travel from his father's house to the home of the prospective bride and he would pay a purchase price. A purchase price that's known as a dowry. A legally binding document that would be signed and it's at this point where the couple was actually considered to be legally married. The bride at this point was set apart exclusively for the bridegroom. The bride and groom would then temporarily part for a period of time, typically for around a year. Afterwards, the groom would return to his father's house during this time. And he would be preparing a place for both he and his bride to reside He would physically construct the marital house there at his father's house, and in many cases, a separate wing at his father's house would be built. After this period of waiting, the betrothal phase would come to an end. When the groom returned for his bride, and even while the waiting period was about, uh, about 12 months, about a year, no one quite knew when that exact moment would be. The time was not exactly known to the bride. But when the bridegroom did return, his arrival was, na- was announced with a shout, and this meant that the wedding celebration was near. Just prior to this, the bride underwent a ritual immersion for cleansing. The wedding ceremony would then take place. The bride and groom would return to the father's house to consummate the marriage, after which the marriage celebration would follow. And while the festivities of modern day wedding celebrations most commonly last for just a few hours, Weddings in ancient times lasted for a few days, seven days, sometimes even beyond that time. And this is where we find ourselves in today's passage. The betrothal, this period of creation, waiting for Jesus to return, has finally come to an end. Christ, the bridegroom, has returned for his bride, the church. The marriage has been consummated, and the time for the eternal celebratory feast, the marriage feast of the Lamb, has finally arrived. So let us look now at how you RSVP to this celebratory feast. First, you have to respond, and that's our first point Accept God's invitation to worship him by responding. And we see this in verses 6, 7, and 9. Follow long as I read this again. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, These words of God are true. When you receive a wedding invitation, there are typically two responses. Yes or no. If you accept and you plan to attend, you check, you check off the joyfully accept box and you send it back. If you don't plan to attend, we assuming that this is a wedding, you check off the regretfully decline box and send it back. Not responding is actually a response In itself, and functionally, it serves as a no. Right now, God is inviting you to worship Him and Him alone. He's calling you to respond to His invitation to worship Him, and there are only two options yes or no. I'm gonna first address the individuals here this morning who regretfully decline, then I have a few words for those that joyfully accept. So is your response to regretfully decline God's invitation? Hunger is one of our most basic desires. It's an expression of our dependence on something or someone that is outside of ourselves. And what we choose to satisfy our hunger with will have a consequence There are implications, whether they be good or bad. If you're not a Christian here this morning, we are gl- so glad that you are here joining us here today. God is inviting you right now to eternally satisfy your hunger by accepting his invitation to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Now, you might have been invited to this feast before. Or perhaps you've rejected it, declined it in the past. Or maybe you didn't realize you'd been invited. But God is inviting you now. Today's passage comes from some of the last words of the Bible. But before I share how you accept God's invitation, I think it's going to be important for us to go to the beginning of the Bible to better understand why we would even want to accept this invitation. At the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, we see that some of God's first words to humans also involve in an invitation and eating. This wasn't just an invitation to eat, though. On a deeper level, it was an invitation to rely on him. An invitation to be satisfied in him and him alone. And this was good. But just six verses from the account of the very first wedding in Genesis chapter 2. We read about the first meal that was documented. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are faced with a decision. A decision that involves food. The serpent invites them to satisfy their hunger outside of God And their response is to accept that invitation. They doubt God's goodness. And instead, they give in to their craving of self-sufficiency. What had been an earth that was blessed was now an earth that was cursed because of their rebellion, because of their sin. And this is the reason why why you should accept god's invitation to the marriage feast of the lamb if you haven't already god is holy he is without sin and he calls each of us who's been made it, who's been created in his image to the same standard we as humans were created not only to satisfy our hunger in him but also to show the world, to image the world how satisfying he is. But in Romans chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, we read that there is no one that seeks God. All have turned away. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. This turning from God is what the Bible calls sin. Instead of the bread of life that he freely offers us, we choose to be mindlessly gratified by this spiritually empty white bread that we've foolishly scrounged up. And there is a consequence for this very poor choice. Romans 6.23 starts off by saying, The wages of sin is death the wages of sin, what we have earned for our sin is God's wrath. A few verses after our passage here in Revelation 19, we read about another supper, the great supper of God, but this is not a feast that you want to attend. In fact, it's a feast that birds are invited to these birds are invited to feast on the flesh of the remains of the enemies of God enemies who have experienced the fierce wrath of God the almighty if you don't joyfully accept God's invitation to his feast by default you are you are accepting this invitation to an eternal death, to an eternal separation from God. You are accepting this invitation to be feasted on. I know this sounds like a whole lot of bad news. Trust me, there is good news. Actually, there's really good news. And if we continue, if we were to continue in Romans chapter six, verse twenty-three, so. While it starts off by saying the wages of sin is death, it actually concludes by saying that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, our problem is our sin, but our solution is Jesus. After Adam and Eve fail in the garden, God promises to one day send the offspring of a woman. To strike a death blow to the serpent's head, thereby defeating the source of sin and restoring what what Adam and Eve lost in the fall. Intimacy with God. Jesus is that offspring. Jesus is that savior. In John chapter 6, Jesus says that he is the living bread that came down from heaven and that anyone who eats of this bread will live forever. The bread that Jesus gave for the life of the world was his flesh, was his life. Jesus descended to earth, fully God, but also fully man. He lived the sinless life that we were called to live, but also died the death that we deserve on the cross. But three days later, Jesus was raised from the grave, ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father until he returns to fully consummate God's kingdom. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus in Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved the only way to joyfully accept God's invitation is by choosing to respond with a yes to following Jesus and this is how you accept God's invitation to worship him so that you too will be at the ultimate wedding feast to come Everyone is invited to this feast, but not everyone chooses to, to accept. If you have any questions about this invitation, please feel free to see me afterwards. Any of the Christians here um, would love to talk to you more about any questions you have, so please ask us. Okay, so what if you've already joyfully accepted God's invitation. Christians here in verses 6 and 7 are rejoicing in response to the judgment of Babylon, which serves as a symbol for the enemies of God and the persecutors of his people. But that's not the only reason for the thunderous roar that we're reading about. The time for the wedding of Christ, the bridegroom, and his church, the bride, is now at hand. The time for Christ's kingdom kingdom to be fully consummated has finally come. Brothers and sisters in Christ, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. These words are true. If you've already accepted God's invitation, what might your response to his word be. Well, it could look like this. Remember that Jesus is coming again, and he will deliver us from the wrath that is to come. Remember that you will not be left outside of the wedding feast if you've trusted in Jesus. Remember the wedding feast of the Lamb at weddings you attend as the union of a man and a woman is but a foretaste of what is to come between Christ and his church. Remember this at another meal that we take regularly here at BBC, the Lord's Supper. Participating in this ought to point us to the final, eternal supper, the marriage feast of the Lamb. We'll be taking the, the Lord's Supper here this morning, just as we do every Sunday. But despite our frequency, we are still vulnerable to underappreciating its significance. Be reminded this morning that he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we would be clothed with the garments of salvation and wrapped in a robe of righteousness, as a groom wears a turban and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Be reminded that Christ himself will not drink from this fruit of the vine until that day when he drinks it new with us in his Father's kingdom. Another way believers can respond to this truth is to remember it at parties, at celebrations, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, whatever the celebration might be. Remember that one day, one day that is coming soon, we will celebrate with a joy that is inconceivable and feast at a banquet that is unfathomable. So for someone like me, who is quite introverted and doesn't really struggle with FOMO, remembering this truth has actually deepened my appreciation for parties, as parties serve as a foretaste of the unimaginable, everlasting celebration that is to come. Pastor and theologian Jeff VanderStelt says, as Christians, we ought to be known as the greatest party people on the planet. And there are many of us here who have um, demonstrated that. We ought to party like crazy because we actually have something to celebrate. The resurrection of Jesus. To children... God has a message for you. So to children who are here who have not repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ, this invitation to the marriage feast of the Lamb is personally addressed to you as well. When an entire family is invited to a wedding, it might be addressed something like, to Mrs., I mean sorry, to Mr. and Mrs. Ben Bratcher and family. But the invitations that are addressed here to the marriage feast of the Lamb are addressed to us as individuals, not as families. So while your parents may have joyfully accepted this invitation. This personal invitation requires a personal response from you as well and it is a question that you must answer. Do you accept or do you decline? One day soon, those who have put their faith in Jesus and turn from their sins will feast in the house of Zion forever. Long for this day. Pray for this day. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. That was point number one. That's going to be our longest point. So first point, respond. Second point, suit up. Accept God's invitation to worship him by suiting up. And we see this in verses 7 and 8. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. It's typically typically one of the, the biggest decisions that a bride-to-be makes once she gets engaged? Wedding dress. <laughs> Something that many prospective dra- br- brides dream about. Now there are costs that come with making sure that the bride looks radiant. And I'm not just talking from a financial standpoint. There's a lot that goes into this decision, right? There's a cost of time, a cost of physical energy, emotional energy, mental energy. There is a lot that goes into making sure that the bride looks perfect. So in verses 7 and 8, what has gone into... Making sure that Christ's bride is suited up flawlessly for the occasion. Well, the first thing to note is that this fine linen, which was the most expensive and exquisite of cloths, was given to her by God. Verse 8 says, She was given fine linen to wear bright and pure. Nowadays, most women are purchasing their dresses. So their dresses similarly are coming from a source outside of themselves. But even if, if a prospective bride were to make their own dress, there is still a certain level of need that's required outside of themselves. Even if we were to trace it back to the, to the seeds of the cotton plant used for the lace, or the silkworm larvae that produce the silk, there, reme- there remains a certain level of need outside of themselves. So this is the first thing to note, that we don't provide our own linens. And the second has to do with the end of verse 7, as we read that Christ's bride has prepared herself. And at the end of verse 8, we read that her fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. So which one is it? Was it given to her by God? Or did she prepare herself with righteous acts? How many of you think that it was given to her by God? Show of hands. Give me about half of you. How many of you feel that she prepared it for herself with righteous acts? One brave soul? It's actually both. So you're, you're all right. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 10 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift not from works so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of us ahead of time for us to do Christ's bride has followed him done what is pleasing to God and held firmly to the testimony of Jesus but ultimately It's a result of God working in her life. God not only empowers one's good desires, but he also empowers the doing of these good desires. If you're a Christian here, this is how you suit up for the marriage feast of the Lamb. Worship God because of Jesus. We can easily give in to the temptation to relax because of what we already have, as John Pastor John Lee led us in praying. But let us each pursue as our goal, the prize, promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Let us per- pursue because of what we already have. And should nothing of our efforts stand, I'll glory be to Christ. If you're not a Christian, the application for you is similar. Worship God, but you can't suit up for this occasion without first joyfully accepting His invitation to worship Him. This brings us to point number three: Value Christ. Accept God's invitation to worship him as you value, as you value Christ. And I'm getting this from verse 10. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God because the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Here in verse 10, John started to worship an angel. It's surprising that John would fall down and worship an angel, but as one Bible commentator puts it, this passage shows us how easy it is to fall into idolatry. It underscores the ongoing danger of the subtlety of mistaken identity and the true object of worship. So some words of application here to Christians. Fellow believers, we know too well how easy it is to slip into valuing anything other than Christ by It was God's providence that both um, Brother Chris and Sister Grace led us in praying, confessing this, and praying against these things that we value outside of the Lord. Money, spouse, no spouse, job, kids, family, friends, free time, the lack of free time, comfort, Even church, anything, good things can deceitfully become idols and we can place a greater value on these things than we do on God. So evaluate areas of your life that prevent you from loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What motivates you? What do you think most about what triggers anger? What is what is um, what is the root of anxiety of worry? What do you value? Now, be careful with running to running immediately to what we many of us will know as, as the right Christian answer as we as we seek to answer questions about what we value. Idols are slippery. Be mindful of the ongoing danger of easily misplacing your hope in idols and not in Christ. Do some work. Be vulnerable. Engage with your church family. Right repentance will reorient you to put your faith in and value Christ afresh. So you value Christ. And point number four preach Christ. Accept God's invitation to worship him as you preach Christ. And I'm also getting this from verse 10. And here in verse 10, the angel quickly rebukes John upon seeing his misdirected affections, going so far as to tell John why he should worship God. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I think what this is saying is that all true prophecy, all true preaching, in other words, is about Jesus. Worship is what we do, and Jesus is what we preach. So while this is going to be our shortest point, let not its brevity be a reflection of its importance. The author of Hebrews reminds us that one of the biggest threats to our faith to us, holding fast to Christ until the end is an evil, unbelieving heart. A heart that is hardened by sin's deception. In Hebrews 3.13, we learn how we can fight the silent killer. It says, But encourage each other daily, while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. The way to combat this deceptive threat to us, this deceptive threat to us accepting God's invitation to worship him is through regular encouragement. Faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes from the message about Christ. Never stop preaching Christ but also Be a hearer of God's word. But don't just stop at being a hearer of God's word. Be a doer of God's word. Through the grace that he supplies. Worship is our life. But as for believers, the testimony of Jesus is our message. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's, Meghan Markle's fairy tale wedding celebration did ultimately come to an end. And just two years after being wed, they surrendered the Royal Highness titles and no longer represent the former King, now King of England. They disqualified themselves from many of the rewards that come with royal, with royalty. Many of the rewards that come as a part of being a part of royalty. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, by God's grace, each of us has joyfully accepted God's invitation to worship Him and to put our faith in Him. But by God's grace, let us not disqualify ourselves from being His royal representatives and being excluded from this final feast. In order to seize this prize, this prize of this upward call of God in Christ Jesus, we we must pursue it in such a way that we each would gain this imperishable crown of righteousness and life. Let us conclude with a final call to action. Accept God's invitation to worship him because of Jesus. We accept this invitation to this final eternal feast by making sure that we RSVP. Making sure we respond, we suit up, we value Christ, and we preach Christ. If you reject this invitation, you will not be attending the marriage feast of the Lamb. And instead, be destined to the unwanted great supper of God. And your heart runs the risk of actually being further deceived by your sin and hardened by your sin. But if you truly accept his invitation, you will be satisfied. You will be suited up. You will value Christ. And you can't help but preach Christ. As we take the Lord's Supper in just a few moments, let us be reminded of this marriage feast that is to come. Before we close our gathering, today we'll be singing the song, We Will Feast in the House of Zion. And I'm going to wrap things up here with the the chorus. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will stay together. We will feast and weep no more. Friends, don't be left out of this event. Accept God's invitation to worship him because of Jesus. And church family, let us live in light of this final feast that is to come. This is not our best life. Yet. I'll close this in prayer, but first, let's have a moment of silence and allow you to pray on your own. Father, give us a deep and hope-filled longing for your return. We know that he who began good work in us will complete it, and apart from you, we can do nothing. It is Christ's righteousness that makes any and all of our righteous deeds successful. You not only empower our good desires, but also empower the doing of these good desires. We can't worship you. We can't accept your invitation. We can't suit up, value Christ, or preach Christ without you. We need your grace so that we might seek you with all of our heart. So that we wouldn't wander from your commands. So that we will treasure your word in our hearts. And so that we would not sin against you. Help us please. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to do right now is take a...